You're listening to the Forever on the Fly podcast. What's up, baby nerds? Welcome to this week's episode of the Forever on the Fly podcast, your biweekly dose of aviation inspiration, education, and entertainment. My name is Diane Dollar. And I'm Jose. And we're here to get you guys hooked Hooked on on aviation. aviation. So I was starting to get into the groove, getting more flights, just got here to Houston, flying the PC-12, and guess what happened? What? I got the COVID. No. (laughs) Yes, it was very unfortunate. Kind of put a damper in the old holiday plans. I wasn't able to go home for Christmas. Had to go quarantine for 10 days. Which, by the way, when I was kind of done with my quarantine, the CDC decided to shorten the quarantine time to five days. (laughs) I didn't know that. So apparently I didn't even have to quarantine for that long. But no, I... It was good. It was good. I I was pretty sick, so I'm glad that I was able to, you know, isolate myself and everything. But yeah, yeah, unfortunate, unfortunate. But back to flying tomorrow, so that's exciting. Good. Yes. Good. 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 Thank what are you going to be you. flying tomorrow? The PC12. Going to go pick up the family and bring them back home. <laughs> oh, yeah. Airplane life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, it, but you know what? It, it's going to be a good experience. There's some weather rolling into Alabama where we're going, so we'll have to be careful and keep an eye on it and make sure that thunderstorms don't roll in earlier than expected. And so it'll be a really good experience, good IFR experience. Good. I'm, I'm happy for you. Thank you. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> it's a different experience. You know, it was so weird flying the PC-12 for the first time, flying into a cloud. I, I felt like I had to hold my breath. Did that happen to you when you first started flying IFR stuff? Um, I didn't have to hold my breath, but I definitely, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely felt outside of my element. Yeah. You know, and sure. I felt like I really had to be hyper-focused yep. on what I was doing. Yeah, it's a weird, weird feeling flying into the clouds. And, you know, I did a post about this on social media about how I think that the regs kind of do helicopter pilots a disservice by not requiring us to get any actual time when we're getting our instrument ratings. Like, we just don't know how, like, what it feels like to fly into a cloud. And maybe, just maybe, an inverted IMC wouldn't be such a killer if we didn't have that initial like terrified knee jerk like oh my god reaction of flying into a cloud i don't know what do you think i mean even if it even if it's getting in an airplane um yeah to fly some actual imc well yeah i'm always for like more training and having more like exposure to stuff yeah so yeah i agree you know i wish they could do more with that but yeah so i mean if anyone's out there who's going to be going through instrument training it's not required, but it wouldn't be a bad idea, even if you're in helicopter school, to go to a fixed wing school and see, like maybe on a on a lower cloudier day, if you could just go up with an instructor and fly into the clouds and just see see what it feels like. And it, I think it, it could save lives, personally, because that you know we're we're told our entire careers. Like flying into the the clouds is scary. It's a killer. Don't do it. And then if someone accidentally does it, it's like, ah, you know, and you could freak out and do the wrong thing because you're just not used to it, right? Like you're not used to that feeling. 
and yeah. you're going to go and like, and you can simulate it all you want with boggles, but quite honestly, I've, I've done a lot of simulated instrument and, and hood time, but nothing really prepared me for what it fa- what it actually felt like to fly into a you gotta, pub. You got to do it with me. You got to take you over the ocean at night. <laughs> I don't know why that sounds so scary. But <laughs> I'm take you over the ocean at night. I don't know if I trust you. <laughs> like, what are you, you going to do? <laughs> sounds, sounds like you're about to like dispose of my body over the ocean <laughs> or something. <laughs> I'm take you over. That's not what I meant. I know, I know, but yeah, that was pretty funny. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> you nerd. Anyways, our next guest is joining us from the Great White North. Have you guys ever wondered what your life would look like as a utility helicopter pilot flying in Alaska? What kind of schedule could I have? What challenges would I face? What is it like to drop off a group of heli skiers on a snow-covered mountaintop? Well, you've come to the right episode, my friends. Today, we're bringing to you a pilot who found his path with Pathfinder, an Alaskan-based helicopter company who flies various missions from exploratory drilling, heli-ski, firefighting, and more. He's here to chat about his life as a utility pilot, stories of his most challenging and exhilarating flights, and the pros and cons of flying in the most remote regions in Alaska. Well, here he is, folks, Grizzly Man himself. Mike. Mike. The bear. This super, the most intense flight I've, I've had. And the weather has changed just so quickly on me. Hi, I'm Mike Grover, and I'm forever on the fly. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Good. Good to see you. Look at you, Mr. Alaska, with your beard and... <laughs> <laughs> You look so much yeah, more wildernessy than the last time I saw you. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to. I don't have to. My image isn't so much uh, an issue anymore. So you figured, like it, I give up. <laughs> I'm just me, kidding. <laughs> me and grizzly bears. That's it. <laughs> hey, no, we're not flying tours no more. <laughs> I know, man. You look like shit, a mountain man. Yeah, you got to be a mountain man. That's, I guess so, huh? Be a part of the club. You got you to you, you blend in with the Grizzlies. <laughs> is that a, is that a thing? Is that a def- defense mechanism? Yeah, right. If I, I just act like them. What is the official word on how to deter a bear? Do you get big or do you get small? You got big. Well, it depends. It depends on the bear, really. <clears throat> if it's a if it's a black bear, you're te- they say you're supposed to fight it off. Mm-hmm. If it's a brown bear, you're supposed to go uh, subservient. Oh, got it. I get, you know, get small and, you know, protect your neck and because they're going to, they feel you as a threat. So you, you, you want to get small and sure. Then they'll hopefully leave you alone. But when they see you with their beard, he's, they're, they just like, what's up, homie? <laughs> Pretty much. I just go, Burr. <laughs> Is that hello and bear? It's a lot of things. It's a lot of things. <laughs> You're just that Sasquatch. You know that, dude? That's the mm-hmm. tackling commercials. Yeah, yeah. I swear I've seen Sasquatch in the woods yeah, in Colorado. Right. Get out of here. I d- remember I sent you that picture of that giant paw print. Yeah. It was huge. And I don't know. I've never seen anything like that before. 
We said paw print, so right away that couldn't be Sasquatch. It was like a, well, I'm, I'm going to find it and I'm going to show it to you because it was like a paw footprint, whatever. It's like, it's freaking ginormous. And then I saw all these trees get knocked down and then I didn't see anything else. I didn't actually see an animal, but like, it was terrifying. Yeah. I, I, I've come across wolf, wolf tracks the size of my hand. Like, like my yeah. hand can like almost fit inside of it. It just, That's the wolves God, are God, it must huge. be a tiny wolf. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so yeah it's been a long long time since papillon days of course you know grover was in my class when we first arrived we were yeah yeah we were in the same class in the training right? yeah we were in the same training class together so that was my first introduction to papillon was, was grover over here <laughs> just kidding you grew on me you grew on me, man. <laughs> I do. I, I grow like a mold on people. <laughs> yeah. At first, on at first side, it's though. a little like, you know, mm, and then you're like, oh, this is actually pretty nice and warming and fuzzy. <laughs> I like it. What have you been up to, man? Like following you through Facebook. I know we, we haven't really talked since you left, really. <laughs> Just I've been following all your stuff on Facebook and seeing that you've been doing a lot of flying Alaska and all over the place. Yeah. Well, I left Papillon and went to the Gulf of Mexico, which um, um, realized that I really like the dry heat and not the humid heat. Mm. Um, <laughs> I started training down there in like August. And I was like, "Wow, this is this is horrible." Um, uh, I went to the, I went to the Gulf to get some bell time, so I got some two hundred six and four hundred seven time in the Gulf. But um, I realized quickly that the Gulf was not where I wanted to be. So I ended up only doing nine months in the Gulf. I think at about four or five months, I realized this is not what I want to do. Yeah, job-wise, it's just mm-hmm. uh, you're just like a you're a shuttle bus, sure. basically. You, you become a shuttle bus, and that's I mean, people love it. People dig it. The schedule's great. Two weeks on, two weeks off. It's the same thing every time. You get you fly a lot mm-hmm. um, if you get on the right contract. Um, but for me, it was just not. I'm, I'm a mountain man, as you can tell. Yeah. Um, so, um, and, and I got into, I got into helicopters for, um, heli skiing. I guess that's what I wanted to be, you know, get up in the mountains in Alaska basically. And I think at about six months, I had a job up in Alaska, uh, lined up for the, for the next summer. And I just had to wait it out for another three months. And, and then I went up to Alaska and I've been up there ever since. So with the same um, company. Yeah. Yeah. I work for, I work for Pathfinder and uh, great company. They've expanded. They've grown. When I got there, I think they had one A star, um, bunch of bunch of mediums, two twelves, four twelve, and they were big into um, oil and gas up there. Mm-hmm. And since then, um, oil and gas has dried up, and they're now basically into exploratory drilling and mining. So we now have eleven A stars. And five two twelves, I think. And we've got some single eagles, um, which are basically two twelves converted into a single a single engine. Kind of competes with a two hundred five. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they've they've been growing, and I've been there ever since. Been happy with them. I do. A, I, I've done so much up there, flying around. I've I've been everywhere in the whole state of Alaska. It's been a, it's been amazing. That's yeah. awesome. And I don't have to, and I don't have to talk to anybody on the radio. 
That's so nice. That's so nice. That scares me, man. I feel like I, I got so many people on the radio where, like, when I was flying in Alaska, you're right. There was nobody, like, there was not really anybody to talk to up there. But then when oh, I you came back Juno, to right? L.A. Yep, yep. Yeah. But then when I when I got back to L.A. and everybody's talking on the radio, now whenever I leave L.A., if I don't hear somebody talking on the radio, I think my radio is broken. You know, <laughs> pushing that squelch button, just like, oh okay, God, like, I think. Is anybody out there? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I so uh, this last year, I, I spent, uh, I spent two months uh, flying off and on a boat uh, out uh, on the end of the Aleutian Islands. So wow. Basically, I was fourteen hundred miles out on the Aleutian Islands on a boat for two months and just flying around volcanoes with volcanologists and we just flew what around volcanoes heck? and like what? i know i was you know i'm the only one out there you know flying and there's just it's it's like pretty amazing but <laughs> 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 right yeah i think i think yeah. actually where i was i was about um about 400 miles from russia yeah. now we also do a, uh, we have a contract we do the mail contract the little diamide island which is right next to Big Diomede, which is in Russia. And they're literally separated by about two miles. Wow. So, uh, but it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. so remote. It's so remote. And there's there's times where I shut down and I'm just like, okay. Yeah. I, I hope this thing starts back up. You're right. Fine. Like, what are you going to do if it doesn't? Fine. Do you only have one anymore. helicopter? Well, yeah. I mean, a, a lot of places where we're at, there's other resources to, you know, to help that they could uh, they could, you know, help get us, but um, you know, if I these, they're mainly, and those things are re- really reliable. Those things are. Do you have a gun with you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When I when I'm out in the bear country, I, I definitely I, I pack. What do, you, what do you pack? Shotgun, um, handgun. N- no, I, I pack a hand, I, I pack a handgun just because uh, the, the the ease of you know the the packing it. And the shotgun's just yeah, too yeah. much. Yeah, but. What are the rules when it comes to carrying while you're flying? Well, you're in Alaska, so there's not really a lot of there's rules. There's not really going rules. On. No. <laughs> no. It's not California, uh, no, I, mean, I guess. It's, yeah, no, yeah. it's definitely not California. It's, you know, even even the people I fly, you know, you, uh, I've flown a lot of volcanologists, I've flown a lot of geologists. Um, I've flown, basically, you fly a lot of ologists around except proctologists. <laughs> Um, you might need one out there. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised but, you weren't uh, picking up like Russian on your frequencies out there. You know, <laughs> I'm surprised there was like Kosibria comrade. You know, like you know, <laughs> some random. I, dude have, I just carry, I just carry vodka with me and everybody's yeah. friends. Nice. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> was it freezing during? Was it? I mean, I'm yes, sure it was Diane, the summertime. It sounds horrible. Well, you know, the, the, <laughs> the, actually, I mean, <laughs> the the summers are. A lot of people don't realize that the summers, especially in the interior, they get they, it gets warm. It, it really gets warm. Um, and you'll have ninety degree, hundred degree days. Uh, no in the way, interior. that warm? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. in Anchorage? Yeah. Uh, no, more 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 like up Fairbanks, kind of uh, oh, just north of the Alaska range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it gets it gets real warm. Um, lots of bugs. Lots of bugs, mosquitoes. Oof, uh, there's times where you shut down and you're just like, oh, head nets on, and you're buttoned up, and you're just yeah. Isn't that the state bird of to... Alaska? Yeah, right. The yeah, mosquito. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those mosquitoes are no joke, though, man. Those things are those are big suckers. They're big and they're they're plentiful. 
You're plentiful. Yeah, pun intended. So, Big yeah. Big yeah. <laughs> Well done. Yeah, I mean, it gets it gets warm. So like like you know, I did that I did that boat thing for for two months this summer, which was great because there were no bugs. There's no bugs out in the Aleutian Islands. Awesome, no bugs. I get no bugs for two months. And then uh, uh, you know, I do fires. I do fires um, for Pathfinder fighting fires, and that's that's pretty fun. I do that in the interior. The contract I'm on is pretty pretty unique because I get to spend half the summer up in Alaska, and then I'm the I'm the first aircraft to get sent down with BLM down to lower 48. So then I fly the aircraft down to wherever they need me in the lower 48. Okay. So like this oh, last year, cool. I was, yeah. So this last year I was in Walla Walla fighting a fire for man. I was on that fire for over 60 days. It's like 75 days, which is unheard of to just wow. sit at a fire for that long. Were you on like yeah. a 12 and yeah. two working that? Uh, no, actually I was in 12 and 12. So, um, my company is really making strides to give us schedules. Nice. Uh, before when I start, when I first started working up there, it was like, you come up to Alaska and you, you're up there for three, four months straight. Mm-hmm. And now they're, they're seeing that. I think it's just the, the whole trend of, um, you know, good qualified pilots and those good qualified, you know, the, the, we've had a couple of pilots leave because of no schedule. Mm-hmm. So the company is like, Hey, let's, let's work on getting some schedule for these guys so that we can, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming to keep us. So, um, I was on a 12 and 12 this last year and again, this next year. And then heli skiing coming up, uh, this spring, I'll be on a three week on three week off schedule. That's so nice. Yeah. So, that is yeah. nice. I've been seeing a huge yeah. trend. We're talking to different friends about the companies that they're at with the quality of life as yeah. far as helicopter pilots are getting a lot better with schedules, you know, mm-hmm. right. with the schedules and stuff like that. And mainly because they're trying to keep qualified pilots in house. Yeah. They don't want them to go anywhere else. So like, <laughs> it's been hard for them to find qualified pilots in different like positions. So that makes sense that your company's doing I, it. You know, I've been seeing that. Yeah. It's, trend. yeah it's, it's actually pretty nice. And then, you know, you know, our, 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 time in Alaska is basically from spring heli ski in the summer. And then once basically October rolls around, we've got nothing. So I'm, I get to be off for, you know, four or five months. Wow. Do you find it hard to stay like current with all of your stuff or do you go out and fly once in a while or do you legit just take four or five months off? There's, there's, there's guys that, that I think they go on their off season, they go, um, you know, moonlight, which good for them. Me, Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, I'm off. I'll take that time off. So you make enough then, of a salary during the busy season well, that you don't have to work for them. Well, I, I get paid year round. So they pay me year round. It's kind of like a retainer, which is great. Wow. So I get a, a yeah. They hire so, me? <laughs> <laughs> they're always looking. We've, we've been growing so fast that it's out of time. So the path that you took, because you went from tours to Gulf of Mexico and then to Pathfinder, you didn't have any long line time when Pathfinder picked you up. Did you find that it was hard to find a utility company that was willing and able to train you on the long line? And did Pathfinder have a really good training program for you when you when you started working for them? Yeah, actually, I mean, Pathfinder has an awesome training. I mean, they they give us so much training time. It's It's crazy. It's awesome. I mean... Um, every year they just like, here, take this helicopter and go take as much time as you need till you get comfortable. Um, 
or, you know, you feel, you feel good about, you know, if we got an OES check ride coming up or something or whatever it is, like I had to do it. I had to know, I had to know, uh, I had to do an OES check ride for the boat, uh, to go off and on this boat. Cause I was carrying federal employees. So I had to do a check ride. So they're just like, Hey, let's just go, let's go meet the boat. And you just sling to the boat and land on the boat and get comfortable. You know, when you feel comfortable, then we'll, we'll get the check ride going. So yeah, they're really good with that. But as far as like your, your question was, um, having no long line time, I didn't have any long line time. I had, um, I had time in type. So I, I went to the Gulf to get bell time because I knew, um, and, and it's kind of changed now because the 206 is kind of a aircraft that's getting out, out, outdated and mm-hmm. not a lot of people are using them anymore, but the 206 is what got me into the company because I'd gotten that time in the Gulf. Um, but as far as no long line time they're they're like, well, no, no long line time. You'll get it sooner or later. We've got, we've got contracts that don't really need, you know, they're not government contracts. So you mm-hmm. don't need that 10 hours. You don't need to be carded yet. So they had some contracts where I could, you know, basically get my feet wet, uh, doing long line stock time. And I, I like to tell people who are like, ah, oh, I need long line time. If the company, if the company likes you, they're going to, they're going to, they'll train you up. I mean, the 10 hours is not much. Especially getting OES carded, because um, you're gonna get you're gonna get three, four, or five hours just training, mm-hmm. yeah, slinging. Um, and yeah. then if they got it, you know, there's a lot of non-government jobs where you can go practice your long line time and get get a little better at it, proficient at it, and then and then get carded. Yeah, uh, yeah. OES. So as yeah, far yeah. as like going and having to like, um, I got no long line time. Well, I wouldn't pay for it. That's mm-hmm. that's my personal opinion. I wouldn't go go pay for for 10 hours of long line time. Cause if the company likes you, they want to keep you, they'll, they'll get you that hours. They'll get you those they'll hours. Train you up. And I know that some people that I've talked to, some companies say that they would actually rather train in house because they oh, want to, yeah. they want to train you the way that they want to see it done versus maybe right. you built a bad habit somewhere else. No, yeah. Yeah. To echo what you were saying, Mike, uh, there was, when I was at North star, it was my first season there, but, they said if anybody was interested in long lining that they could get a, they could get them. If you were doing well with them for the season, they would mm-hmm. get you a line underneath you, you know, and Coastal and a couple of other companies that were out there. Uh, right. Not as much temps go. That was more seniority based, but yeah. uh, from what I saw, Coastal, North star, if you, um, if you were, if you were in a shit bag, you know, <laughs> they could essentially get a line under you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just it. If they, if they value you and, and they want to keep you and, um, they'll, they'll give you that training and then they'll, they'll also, you know, they'll train you up in their other airframes they have. Mm-hmm. So. I met, um, I was up in Salt Lake city and just visited the snowbird slopes. Cause I was like, Oh, there's a helicopter up there. I wonder who that is. <laughs> so I just, I just showed up and they, they mentioned that Pathfinder manages that contract or provides the pilots for that contract. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we did until this year. Um, we don't do that. We don't do uh, snow uh, powder bird anymore, okay. uh, but we did. Um, we, we did it for a few years, um, but we don't do that anymore. It's contracts always change hands. Yeah, sure. What um, was it? What kind of contract was it? It was a heli scheme. So for heli skiing, oh, yeah, for heli skiing, yeah. Um, now, like this year, um, we do stay in a lodge, and we're gonna have seven aircraft. Wow! At this lodge, and the lodge has basically said we don't want you, we don't want you flying for anybody else. 
They want you all to, no, them, to themselves. Yeah. Where, oh, where is I mean, that? We've done, uh, it's, uh, just north of Valdez in Thompson Pass. Cool. Um, some really, some really high end clientele it's, and it's Valdez. Uh, I'm tired of you people calling it Valdez. Valdez. <laughs> Valdez. <laughs> we need to ask Lee. We'll see how she I'll, start, says. I'll start pronouncing it that. So my, my friend Jose, he said it's Valdez. I know. They're like, oh, that was a Portuguese is it, I call. Is it is, is it Valdez or Valdez? Wow, well, Valdez. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> So what did you think is the most challenging part of your job? Um, you know, when I get put on a contract, the, it's just kind of like, there's a lot of unknowns. There's it just, that's just Alaska in general. Um, so it's kind of your, your pathfinder is great at just like, here's your contract, go, go do it. And, I, and I'm, I'm sure that's pretty typical of most, most helicopter companies. So they just say, here's your contract. Here's your, here's your point of contact. Uh, get a hold of them and, and figure it out and figure out the job. And then I think the the biggest thing is probably, I mean, weather. Um, there's not a lot of, there's places where you're just, there's no internet. I mean, I go to places where there's no internet, no phones, no nothing. So you get pretty remote, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so weather becomes an issue because you, you can't, you can't forecast, you can't figure out, Hey, what's going on with the weather? What's the trend? What's going on? So you kind of have to just like, play by ear you just go fly and, and it, yeah right you look at the clouds and you, you become a it, once you once you're in an area for a while you kind of learn that area because there's so many different little microclimates you know, microclimates like anywhere else but mm-hmm. um you start learning that area and you're like okay well this looks this looks like a good day we'll, we'll be all right and then weather starts rolling in you're like oh, well it's time to leave we got to get off this mountain um, yeah. i've almost gotten stuck on a mountain once my first year um uh, I was I was flying uh, some people around and I was like, hey, I think we should probably get going. And he kind of talked me into not leaving, and we kind of got stuck in the in the in the mountains and in the, in, the, in the clouds for probably a good eight hours. Wow. And we were we were basically basically going, okay, I guess we're spending the night. We're going to spend the night up in this mountain, and, and you know, we bring we bring um, you know gear, survival gear, and food, and all that stuff. It's that's just like I got this pack that I was flying around in alaska it's just mm-hmm. it's my survival gear smart um as well as the ship has a has its own survival gear but their food sucks so i bring my own food yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so we almost got stuck and about it was about 10 10 30 at night in like kind of late august and all of a sudden the, the fog the clouds just lifted we're out we're out and uh you know landed just just in the nick of time. I think the actual sunset was like 1130. 11. Oh, wow. You know, so was, didn't think about that. It was like, I had just enough time to get back to uh Kenai. Dang. And, uh, Dang. And, and <laughs> Dang. Dang. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. There's, that's, that's another trippy thing. Like I've done jobs up on the North slope where I mean, you just never really get dark. And actually most of Alaska, you just never really get, never really gets dark. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just weird. Cause you'll spend, you know, two months, where it just doesn't get dark and so you just you just deal with it my first year was pretty rough but ever since then i think i've learned to just sleep with you know that little bit of you know twilight Mm -hmm. where do you sleep you have like a like usually just i guess it just depends on the contract and where you're out of but yeah uh, most places you know there's a like if you're doing drill work you're going to be sleeping in a man camp and you know they put you up in a these little let's go they call them like arctic 
Arctic the four seasons. Ovens, Arctic camps. The four seasons, yeah. Oh, like right. a yurt? No. Uh, no, not quite a yurt. Uh, kind of more of a it's a temporary structure. Structure, sure. Um, not not a permanent structure, but more of like a little. It's like a like a shack. It's like a tent, but it's 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 like a tent, but it's more permanent. Yeah, you know, like a look like a wood floor and a cot. You know, nice. yeah. Um, your your living arrangement arrangements aren't always the best. Uh, there's definitely times where you're just like, oh, this is not four seasons. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> really roughing that, it. That's that's a, <laughs> you do you do rough it, and that's one thing you kind of have to you just have to roll with it. Uh, some of the places you, you you get sent to. So yeah, so probably like the worst the worst flight of my uh, career was this spring when I had to fly out to the Lucians uh, to get to that boat. I had I got so that's probably 30, 40 miles from the uh, uh, Dutch Harbor. And I crossed this channel. It's just me and my mechanic. You know, we got floats on the helicopter. We're in survival suits. We got life jackets on. Uh, weather was not the greatest, but the winds were okay. We hit, we come across this channel this, uh, and the winds picked up uh, from the north, 30, gust and 60. And there were a couple of times where I had, I had to get on the leeward side of the islands. And when I hit the leeward side of the islands, when I just got rocked, um, just the turbulence. You know, most turbulence is, is okay. That side to side turbulence is not a big deal. We've all experienced that that up down turbulence, where it's just like, mm. just you know, you lose you lose your, your weightlessness and that kind of stuff, and you're just getting bounced around. Uh, I was getting some of that. I was getting a lot of that. And then at one point, and I had a 500 foot ceiling, so I'm flying over the water. Can't fly over the land because it's all mountains. So I'm flying over the water, getting on the leeward side of this island, and I just get the snot kicked out of me. My mechanic has one hand on the oh shit handle and the other handle or his other hand is on the life raft. We have a life raft uh, and, the, and the aircraft as well. And <laughs> we're just flying in and, I, and I'm doing all I can to just keep it, keep it, it going. Yeah. At this point, at this point, I'm like 30 miles from Dutch. I'm, you know, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes from Dutch Harbor. So it's like, we're almost there yeah, and there's yeah. no place to really land. You just, I just got to get there. Just got to get there. Yeah. And 500 foot ceiling at one point, I got an updraft and it just started taking me up. And I put my, I put my, I put the collective on the ground on the floor and I'm just, I'm climbing 600 feet per minute. And I'm like, Oh, here we go, Robert, we're going in the clouds. And we got about, I don't know, 50, 75 feet from the base of the clouds. And I was able to get out of that, uh, out of that updraft and get back down to about two, 300 feet. But then I was just like the whole time you're like, man, I don't want to get another, I mean, I don't, now I'm thinking like downdrafts. So like downdrafts is going right. to force me into the water. Into the water. Just super, the most intense flight I've, I've had. And the weather just changed just so quickly on me. And yeah. it was one of those things where, you know, you get taught like, oh, leeward side, windward side, you know, especially doing like ridge top landings. And it's always more, more stable on the windward side, right? But the way the route was, I had to take the leeward side of these islands because the islands went way north and I just didn't have that time, kind of time. I had to take the leeward side and it was just... It just kicked my butt, man. I, yeah. I that's probably one of the times where I, when I landed at Dutch Harbor, like I, I literally wanted to kiss the ground. Right. I, I <laughs> yeah. I like, oh, I made it. Dude. But the weather just changed so quickly on me. And that was like 30 gusts and 60. It was just insane. You could see the that's swell, gnarly. the wind gust coming at you because it was hitting the water. And you could just see it coming at you. It's like, hold on. Here comes another one. And it would just rock you. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you just you, you 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 keep the aircraft level and you get through it and you're like, okay, Whoa. all right, there's that one, and you're like, okay, here comes another one. You kind of hold your breath and you're like, ah, oh, here it comes. Oh. 
you just see it coming at you and it just rocks you and you just yeah it's crazy Ooh. Intense, yeah, intense, that, dude. Worst, 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 worst flight of my life, and I knew it was going to be. I even told, you know, I told my 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 chief pilot, like, can, can I just put it on the boat Except and I'll just ride the out. boat out? <laughs> yeah. Like I don't want to fly out there. So I knew that it was just going to be a, that kind of because the winds are just so crazy on the, the Aleutians. Yeah, like a, you get out the ADAC, they call it the the birthplace of the winds. It oh. just it's always windy. Oh, is, that, is that an option to put it on the flights. boat if you had to? Not, not, not really. Only because it's not. It wasn't a real. It, it's an old. It was an old uh, crabbing vessel that they converted oh, into like a research vessel. So the, the platform is not real big, and there's a lot of sea spray that can get on the boat. And that's obviously saltwater is not real good for aircraft. Is yeah. What I'm told. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, yeah. So I, I flew it everywhere. Anytime the boat moved, I, I flew. I didn't leave it on the boat. Got it. But yeah, that was that was a crazy flight. Woohoo. Thanks for sharing. Crazy that. fairy flight. Crazy yeah. fairy flight. Yikes. <laughs> I'm glad you're okay. Yeah, it's I think the the worst part of it is, you know, when you you know, as a as a pilot, we're so used to being in control. Yep. And then when you you've taken all the power out of the aircraft and you're still climbing. Climbing. And you're like, there's literally nothing else like, I can do with right. this. Here we go. I guess I'm going IMC. <laughs> I got rocked pretty hard like that going through Banning Pass, going down to Coachella for like eight hours a day for three days straight. <laughs> that, yeah. that was some yeah, of the gnarliest. And that was like, I came in, that was, I came in to land. It was the last fight of the day. I was ferrying the helicopter back and it was nighttime. I had one way fuel and like it had been that way all weekend, just super freaking windy. But when I got back to Hawthorne, it was like 13 gusting 59. So like the gust spread itself was yeah. just like freaking ridiculous. It was like right. I, I was getting super rocked and I kept settling every time I came in to land. So then I'd go around and like you'd see the carpets on the ground just getting ripped off at the FBOs. Like everything was just flying everywhere. And I'm talking to the tower like there was just a cold front just like sitting right on top of the airport. And he was like... um, I was like, dude, is there anywhere else reporting better than this? Like, because I was thinking I could go down to Long Beach or Torrance or I don't know, somewhere else. And, but I only had my one way fuel. So I could have, you know, diverted to an airport where, you know, maybe I'll give myself one more chance to land or I can just stay here and just stay in the pattern and then just, you know, keep going until I finally feel okay to put it down. But it took me definitely like three times in the pattern, like just going around to land it. And right. I finally got it on the ground and the airport manager drove over. He's like, I just want to give you a big hug. And like, dude, my, <laughs> my shirt was sweating. So like you could wring out my shirt and I was like shaking, like, <laughs> I'm, just, right. I'm just so glad to be on the ground right now. The A-star can handle a lot. And like, yes, when, when you start feeling that, intense it's it's scary man i'll tell you what though i'll take i'll take turbulence in a helicopter over an airplane day though oh for sure right Mm -hmm. it's way better (laughs) you know it's funny that you 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 talk to any pilot they all have some sort of story that scared the living daylights out of them some sort of freakness some sort of near miss some whatever they all have that kind of thing but they all continue to fly right we all continue to do this because it's just like and I guess it's that, that that passion, that that love of getting up off the ground and, and flying and 
doing what we do. Well, hey, man, if you didn't but die, you learned something, you know? And right. Right. I learned what the A star does when it's thirteen gusting fifty nine out, <laughs> and it wasn't predicted to be that bad. But hey, you right. know what? Sometimes. But I learned, even if it's you know if it's nighttime, I'm by myself. Just put more fuel in the freaking helicopter and give yourself <laughs> more time to divert. I I had a I don't know who somebody some old pilot told me once. He goes, "You have two buckets. You have an experienced bucket and you have a lucky bucket. And the more you fly." You know, something happens, you take a little bit out of that lucky bucket, you put it in the experience bucket. And so you just keep doing that your whole aviation career, right? You just hope that that, that lucky bucket never goes dry. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you reach in that lucky bucket and it's not, there's nothing in there. That, that's when you're going to find yourself in a lot of trouble. Yeah. You just hope that, I like that. The, luck, the, the luck turns to experience, basically. Yeah. Yep. And then, yeah, hopefully... Hopefully you don't yeah, repeat. Yeah, hopefully right? you don't repeat. Exactly. It's more like the people or the the pilots who have that lucky bucket and they just are like, well, I'm just going to continue being lucky. I got away with it. You know, right. in, yeah, instead, right. of, instead of like really registering in the, in the experience bucket, they take that as, well, I guess I can just keep doing that and keep getting away with it. Right, I got away with it once. I got away with it once, times. twice, exactly. Right. So instead of like learning from it and modifying behavior for the future, right. they just Absolutely. keep making the same decisions, expecting the same results. But sometimes you're not going to get that same result because no flight is the same. So eventually that's when things bite people in the butt, right. you know, to put things nicely. Yeah. <laughs> to put things nicely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get up in Alaska and... It, like I said, it's so remote. There's, there's definitely things where, you know, where you land, you know, where you shut down. The, those things are just going to be uh, obviously issues of concern. Um, weather, knowing the weather, we all learn it, you know, going through flight training. But it's it's really, uh, it isn't until you're actually in in that environment, in that area, where you really get to learn learn the weather. And I think in Alaska, it's probably the weather is the biggest concern. Um, uh, fuel uh, is another thing. Uh, there's not a lot of fuel out, out, out there, especially jet a, there's a lot of low that, but jet a, there's a lot of, there's not, there's not a lot. So, um, you're, you're very specific on how to, uh, you know, fuel how to pick your route. Yeah. I got a plan. Um, uh, there's been a lot of places like when I was out in the, in the Aleutian Islands, we staged fuel. It was a big thing. Like we pre-planned, months in advance to give 55 gallon drums uh, to certain islands so that I could have fuel. And, you know, you, you're, that's the other thing you, you're feeling out of 55, 55 gallon drums with a, with a, with a pump. Hopefully it's a electrical a pump, pump, but I've done a lot of, <laughs> I've done a lot of the, the hand pumps and, and that can be a lot of fun. Wow. They and actually have your hand pump hand it. Pump, you mean like pump it, pump it 110. Pump it 910 gallons. I think at one point, one summer, I had it dialed in where I knew exactly how many gallons per, you know, good chunk, good chunk. It was like like three gallons, good chunk, good chunk at a time. But it was, uh, it, um, yeah. Okay, was, I guess this, you can't really risk having an electric, or I guess you wouldn't have electric electricity out there uh, to pump it. Well, it depends on the aircraft. So, like, I, I, I've, I, I've flown a lot in the 206 in Alaska, and the battery is just not big enough. Mm to support a, an electric pump. So you're using a hand pump. Now with the A-Star, the battery's a little bit bigger. You can get away with pumping a, a, a you know, a, a drum or two. 
but it's so much nicer with an electric pump. Yeah, I'm sure. But yeah, fuel fuel's a big one as far as you know safety because I mean you could run out of fuel. You know, you, you you encounter winds. It all boils back down to weather. Like you, I, I have encountered you know weather that you're just like, oh man. Like I do, I do the ferry basically from the lower 48 back up to Alaska and vice versa for the fires. And this last time I got in, you know, it's October, Canada, weather starts getting crummy, crappy, and, and you're flying and headwinds pick up. And um, typically we carry um, five to six uh, five gallon jerry cans in the basket for extra fuel, just mm-hmm. in case I landed. I landed at the border in, in Alaska to, to get um, back into the United States. Um, and I put all five, I had five jerry cans with me. So I put 25 gallons back in and the winds were good. I was like, ah, I got enough. I, I'll be able to make it. But uh, winds picked up and, you know, you get, you rolling into toke with, you know, you're just like, ooh. Ooh, okay yeah, that was close pucker yeah. moment <laughs> but it's um it, and it's yeah it's weather it's always weather up there i mean weather comes in especially in the mountains it can come in so quick um and you have, like to, you have, to, you have to land a lot where you're like oh crap the oh. visibility is getting bad <laughs> um i haven't done it well actually you know it weather's weather's a big deal and most of the people you fly up there are also watching the weather just as much as you are. Mm-hmm. And those, those days where it's kind of marginal and it all depends on the, the trend, right? So if the trend looks like it's going to be getting better, or the trend looks like it's going to be getting worse. That really helps you. You make your decision because mm-hmm. if it's getting worse, you don't want to go fly up in the mountains because the trend says it's going to get worse. So why go up there? So you just sort of cancel it. Right. Um, it's when you're up in the mountains and it starts getting kind of like, Oh, okay. Weather's moving in. I, I tell people like, I'll, I'll, I'll try to give you like a 15 minutes. Like, Hey, weather's yeah. coming in. You probably got about 15 minutes or something. And I also tell them if you hear the, if you hear the, the rotors start up, if you're the engine spooling up, you better just drop what you're doing and get in the helicopter. Cause I'm leaving. I'm not getting stuck on the mountain. Um, but most of the people are, are pretty in agreement with you. They don't want to push weather either. So when they don't want to get stuck either. Right. Yeah. So, um, but oh, it, it just comes in fast. I'd be so mad if I saw you take off. I did it here and I had my AirPods in. <laughs> no. Jose, I'd never leave you, man. I'd never Aww. leave you behind. I mean, all those guys, all, all, all those guys, uh, you know, they, they all have their survival gear. They all, their you know, tents and divvy sacks and food. So, they know they, they know there's a real possibility of getting stuck. Yeah. That's that's why we carry the survival gear because there's a good chance of getting stuck. Yeah, the helicopter breaks, the you know, mm-hmm. something happens. But you know, the weather comes in and it's it's time to it's time to leave. And there's you don't you, usually there's not a lot of time to think about it. Like okay, weather's coming. In, yeah, we gotta leave. So you kind of feel it, it moves in fast. Yeah, put the finger yeah. in and, it, and that boils down to experience too. Yeah. I mean, the more experience you get, you kind of can see, like I said, that my first year I almost got stuck on top of a mountaintop because I just didn't quite know enough. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, see ya. I, and I've, I've actually left guys like, it'll be like a definite ceiling. And it starts coming in. You're like, you, you have two choices. You can either, I can, you can come with me or I can leave you here and you can hike down to where I can get you. Mm-hmm. And depending on the terrain, obviously it's really, really steep terrain. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let them do that, but if it's pretty mellow terrain, they can hike down 
I'll, if that's what they want to do, I'll do, you know, I'll be, I'll take off and I'll go, you know, 2000 feet lower, have my radio on and I'll just sit, I'll just sit down somewhere else. Yeah. Shut down mm-hmm. and wait for them to, to get down out of the clouds, that's go pick fine. them up. Cool, man. But you know, Jose, I will say that. Stuck. <laughs> What's that? Jose almost got stuck overnight in that riverbed, right? Mm. Yeah, I almost quit. I always told my boss, I was like, if I had to stay, <laughs> if I had to stay the night, if I had to spend the night, I'd, 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 I'd have told the man, man, I was not in the fine print. Yeah. <laughs> and you were not. <laughs> well, see, and, and that's the difference between you know you your LA you know you know Kush life versus the Alaska. Um, we 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 somewhat expect to be stuck. That's why we bring all our survival gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, these guys are bringing 35, 40 I mean, I pounds brought, of survival I, gear. I brought some Pop-Tarts, but that was about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You've got all your packs with you, too. Is, I mean, that's... These, these but, but, and these aren't, and these aren't... These are tourists. They're not, like, you know, mountain people that are being prepared to stay overnight. These are, like, families right. who are like, we just wanted to go see the glacier. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to spend the night on a riverbed. <laughs> Freezing cold temperatures. Yeah, yeah that would have sucked. Yeah. Man, yeah, especially you're like, not prepared. Yeah. Oh, F. yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had like what you said, company survival kit, and we definitely had like the tent and like a lot of stuff prepared. But still, I mean, like it's a it's a yeah. it's a horrible and feeling it, uh, when and it when happens you get stuck. when you yeah, and it happens at a time when it's supposed to be a quick turn and <laughs> you cover for somebody, and all you're wearing is like a police shirt. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's going to be like 30 minutes tops. And then you get up there and yeah. you're like, well, ain't that some shit. Was this, was this up in Juneau? <laughs> What's that? Was this up in Juneau? Yeah, just yeah. north. It was up in the glaciers, up in the ice fields. Yeah, yeah. It's just like the wind, when the when the wind turns and you start getting the wind coming down slope, you start getting uh, kind of like a, it gets fogged up pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I will say that the probably my worst weather that I've ever experienced was in the Gulf. Um, a winter in the Gulf of Mexico is no joke. Um, the storms roll in. You get these cold fronts, and they're so aggressive, mm. just crazy fronts, and you can li- literally see the see line. Them. And and the temperature drops twenty degrees. The winds are eighty knots, and and the sea fog. You'll be you'll be flying along. The sea fog is rolling at like forty knots, catching up to you, and you're just like, "This is crazy." Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, like they don't. They, they don't I feel like they never taught me about sea fog until I got out to the Gulf of Mexico. So we always talk about fog forming with like no wind, the temperature yeah, yeah, yeah. point, blah blah blah. You know, uh, clear clear nights, and blow. Stuff. And then, and all of a sudden you get up to Gulf of Mexico and it's like, it's blowing 40 and yeah. the fog is forming as fast as you can fly. And you're just looking for a place to sit down. It's, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. You're better off it's pretty crazy. catching a ride with those cartel boats. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I was thought that after, after flying out there, I was like, man, I could make a lot of money doing some drugs, some, some just these guys just drop it off on a platform. I just land real quick and pick it up and. And you look at those boats States. and you're like, well, first of all, you're definitely not like fishing for shrimp 30 <laughs> miles off the coast, you know? Cigarette boats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder what you guys are doing this far out. Do they have the like, contract for Antarctica? Uh, no. The, they, uh, 
Well, well, it used to be PHI, and I can't remember uh, PHI. Let it go. Or I don't know. I don't know. How, I don't, I'm not in that yeah, yeah, yeah. that realm. But um, we we put up a bid for it, and we obviously didn't get it, but another company got it. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, we, I was kind of stoked because I was like, yeah, man, if we get that Antarctic contract, I was like, sign me up. I'll I'll do that. Oh yeah, you would have gone. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. When I, a friend of mine uh, in Dallas was saying that. Uh, his DO was kind of in charge of one of the contracts down in Antarctica. He had four pilots down there. It was supposed to be a three-week job. They got stuck there for six months because of COVID yeah. crap. And yeah, he was saying that they might be... COVID in Alaska, uh, it, it was definitely a little weird too because like people were like, they didn't want you know crew changes. Mm. And I'm sure it's kind of most places, but being in remote places like these, these drill camps and stuff, they were like these drills, these huge mines... Like they're very like once you're there, you're there. So get used to it, kind yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get to Kodiak Island? Did you ever fly there? Uh, no, I've never been to Kodiak. Um, it's a little hard to get to in a helicopter. It's it, you're really doing some island hopping to get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that you can't get there, but I, I've never had the opportunity to get there. Um, yeah. I've flown all over North Slope, all points in between east west north south mm-hmm. and it's been it's it's been pretty cool i've never had really any any like crazy bear encounters i've seen a lot of bears but i haven't had like any bears like come up to me in the helicopter while i'm sitting there mm-hmm. um because a lot of times you sit there and you know these guys go to work and you just sit there and you enjoy yeah. the view of the mountains and you just you know i get my yeah. kindle and read a book i've never read so many more books until i became a pilot <laughs> to sit around Especially nice. with no internet, it just, it, that's a little bit rough. You, you just get used to this: no internet, no, sure. no Facebook, no Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Can't. What would I? Tweets. What would I do? <laughs> I know. I guess it's it's a transition, right? <laughs> it's rough. Man, I was it's rough. Enough. I was at the. I flew with a friend uh, that worked for Alaska Seaplanes, and um, we went out cruising around, and uh, we landed, you know, like, and we docked up on one of the islands. And dude, man, I swear to God, I thought it was like thunder. It was like these two big old coastal bears Whoa. just like going at it, man. Yeah. Like probably like 50 yards from us, you know, but man, it made me feel so small and it made me feel naked because I didn't have a gun. And oh. I, was like, I, was like, I was like, oh my God, I hope they don't like Mexicans. You know? <laughs> I'm going to wrap you up like a little tortilla. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, I am yeah. not here. <laughs> well, they're like spin yeah. this shit back up spin it back up they're man just, they're, they're <laughs> so big man they're like yeah they're huge ooh, they're huge the coastal browns are huge for yeah. sure yeah that's so I heard crazy the kodiaks are the biggest but man like to think that a kodiak's bigger than a coastal brown bear that blows my mind because yeah yeah man i look like i was looking at two shacks you know Ooh. Right, I know they're, they're huge <laughs> that's one thing I, I i never get tired of seeing is like the wildlife i've seen every Know, animal up there except the polar bear i haven't seen a polar bear yet but um yeah. like i was flying along and i and i come across this herd of buffalo bison and i was like what <laughs> what there's bison up there there's there's uh two big herds uh up there and i, I flew over and i was like i had to do a double take i think like, these are those are buffalo is that not no, like it's not, it's, not, it's not like a thing that's not an alaska thing mm. no what uh, i mean apparently they and they've they've reintroduced them you know, years uh, ago, but I, I just never thought that 
I was like, I felt like a big plane, you know, animal. Yeah. Here, here yeah. I am in Alaska. I thought there were like Dakotas in Montana and stuff. Yeah. Right. I've seen herds of caribou. I think the biggest herd of caribou I've seen is probably about 2,000 caribou. Wow. And you fly over that. Wow. The first time I saw that, first time I saw that, I was looking down and just like the ground was moving. I was kind of, I was up about 2,000 feet and I looked down and it sort of weirded me out because the ground was moving. Yeah, and it yeah. just like, I was like, what, what is that? And then you get a little closer look and it's just all these, all these caribou just running, running. Yeah, that's it's pretty cool. You don't want to yeah, have to auto awful. into that. <laughs> 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 I don't know what would win, the helicopter or the caribou. <laughs> you probably start to stampede. Be like, yeah. Oh, uh, did you well, hear what happened? Well, landing. how did he die? Caribou. It, it cushion your landing. Just, just you get just on a couple in, of them just right. Right in the wave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Guess we're eating caribou tonight and cook them over the fire of the helicopter. Yeah. Oh man, man, that's so cool. That's so cool. That I've never cool. gotten to experience anything like that. That's why I really wanted to go to Alaska last yeah, year. It's, it's just so, it's just so remote, and it's like when you go on a, a lot of these jobs, you just you know, that you're you're it. You're you know you're a couple hundred miles away from the nearest little village or something, and that's it. You know, I mean, you're just. Do you always remote. fly with a mechanic? Uh, well, actually it, not, no, um, the mechanic just stays at the base I'm at. So like if I'm at a drill job or if I'm, you know, wh- whatever camp I'm at, the, the mechanic will stay at the, at the, at the camp. Okay. And then, then I go off and fly mm-hmm. around the mountains and do whatever I need to do. Um, and then, yeah, like, and then, then you get like heli ski in where you're just, you're just off dropping people off and picking mm-hmm. them up all day and kind of stays back in the lodge yeah, doing yeah. whatever they do. Yeah. They sleep. Mechanics sleep all the time. We know this. <laughs> we know, <laughs> we know this. This is a known fact. <laughs> they're like cats. I call them, I call them cats. They're, they're like cats. They sleep 80% of the day. <laughs> Especially, I mean, uh, uh, you know, a field mechanic, a field mechanic, they just, um, you know, they that, like being out there. There's not a lot of work to do unless something goes wrong and then they're up all night. You know, right. fixing the helicopter, but typically they just do nothing. And sleep we call those safety naps in aviation, <laughs> in, the, right. in the pilot world. <laughs> no, man, I got to go take nap. my safety nap. <laughs> yeah, that's right. a real thing. Yeah. Might have to be up all night. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, and that, that's it. Gotta yeah, catch that's it when you can. It, I, it's yeah, it's it's a lot of naps. I think it's not just utility, but it's also you know EMS, mm-hmm. fire world, whatever. It's just if you're a pilot, helicopter pilot, get used to sitting around and do nothing. Yeah, yeah. You, you got to be able to, and it's really fun when there's no internet. That's that's when it gets really fun. You got to get creative. Yeah, that's crazy, man. I don't know what I do. There are there are definitely you know weeks at a time that I might be uh, away from yeah. something, but uh, you know a lot of these a lot of the camps and stuff they do have internet, but it's really bad. It's really horrible internet, so yeah. it's not what you're used to. Do. What is your favorite aspect of your job? What is what do you love to do the most? I yeah, I just love flying. You know, I when you flying Alaska. It's just it's just. I mean, there's so much different. It's not the same thing all the time. I mean, it's always something different when mm-hmm. I when I'm up there. You know, I didn't start flying. Till I was 36, 48 now, and I just love flying. I've got I've got a couple of friends who've kind of gotten out of it. And there's like they tell people like out of all their aviation friends like i'm the one that truly still loves flying mm. like i love i love i just love spooling it up and 
and taking people wherever they need to go. And then, you know, I said earlier that, you know, I got into this for heli skiing. I, that was my thing is I got, I want to do heli skiing. And it took me, um, I don't know, about five years or so of commercially flying to, to obtain yeah, that, to that, that goal. And it's been, it's uh, heli skiing is no joke. It's, it's the most intense flying that you'll do most technical at the end of the day. You're just like, wow. I mean, that was like, whew. Ooh. let's go do it again tomorrow. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. It's just like you, you, you have so many different uh, emotions and experiences and, and, and it's just, you know, you land on these, these, these ridge tops and you're these knife, these knife ridges and you're dropping people off and they're just having the, and they're just having the, the time of their life. So that your clientele is just absolutely stoked for you. I mean, you, I mean, you're, you're their, you're their, um, their chariot. Um, yeah. Your chariot is like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm providing them their lifelong dream to some of these people and they're just, they're just loving it. And it, it's so much fun to have that kind of clientele <laughs> in your, in your aircraft. Yeah. Yeah. They're just stoked. They're adrenaline junkies. So you get to, I mean, you, you fly the aircraft and they're just like, they're just, they're so stoked to be in that aircraft with you. And so there's so much, there's so much energy and so much, you know, uh, joy. That's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And passengers make a break a flight sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, for sure. I don't, I can't recall anybody that I've had tele skiing and I'm like, this guy, you know, but it's, they're all just like stoked and super amped to just have the, just, just Mm-hmm. so awesome they're just like oh, i can't i can't believe i'm doing this and then you drop them off on this super crazy gnarly you know six thousand foot you know 50 degree angle you know face and they're like have fun <laughs> they're like okay, have you, had a, okay. <laughs> have you had a good amount of your clientele open up that basket and forget that the rotor head's up above them and they get their skis uh, out <laughs> no so so it's actually it's actually i mean the the guide's you know, every, every, every group has a guide and the guide is pretty much the only one that's taking the skis in and out. Oh, um, yeah. So yeah. they, basically what happens is, is you, you land and the guide gets out and then you, you slide open the door and then the four people get out of the back and they, they're trained to just sort of sit. So the guy like point somewhere and those four just sort of huddle yeah. and they, they throw all the, the avi packs and all their gear with them and they hold on to everything. And then the, the guide will bring all the skis out shuts shuts the basket makes sure everything's buttoned up gives me the thumbs up and then i take off so oh, the, the, awesome. the, the, yeah, yeah, the clientele exactly. they just sit there yeah and don't do anything it's great yeah yeah, yeah. you know I, I ski myself and there's just some days where i was like man i wish I'd love I, to be just, yeah. <laughs> I wish i was skiing this stuff and then there's some days i'm like oh no yeah this doesn't look that good <laughs> it's like minus minus 15 and the snow's not real good and you know, they're, they're just out there doing it because the, the weather's good, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't know the difference. I, I, I don't, I don't know why skiing is one of those things that like, I'll jump out of an airplane, no problem, but put me on a ski slope looking down and it terrifies the crap out of me. I'm just like, yeah, ah, I've been, ah. I've been skiing since I was 10, 12 years old. I think that makes and, a difference when you grow up with yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So when you first get hired on by Pathfinder, do they put you right into a heli ski contract or do you have to do other contracts before you'll get there? It really depends on your previous experience, right? Um, if you've got the mountain time, if you've got the time in, in an A-star, they'll, they might, they might 
put you right in, but it really depends on your experience. If you like, I didn't really have um, a lot of mountain time. Um, I, I, I had the eight star time, but the mountain time's a big one because the mountains it's, it's, it's crazy. The wintertime winds, snow, whiteouts, flat light, all the conditions that you can expect in a wintertime mountain environment. Uh, if you're not, if you're not, if you haven't experienced those or they'll be a little more hesitant to, to hire you on. Sure. Apparently somebody's home. Um, but it, the great thing about Pathfinder is they, they do a, a really good job of training. Um, so every year we go up and we do training like last year, last year and, and this year coming up in, in February, we're going to go to the lodge and we're going to hang out with us, with the, with this guides. And so we get to talk with the, the heli ski guides and get their take on our operation and, and vice versa. And so we get to really know how they work and how, um, so you, you kind of get, um, really good training. And then, and then we go up, we've got, we've got a pilot, uh, he's been doing heli skiing for you know a decade or so. He's got a ton of time heli skiing and he takes us up and, and puts you on some really gnarly terrain, really gets you the training that you, that you, that you need and oh, go, go over. Yeah. So as far as like getting hired on and expect to be like, Hey, I'm going to do heli skiing, you know, right out of the get go, probably not. They want to, they're going to, they're going to make maybe work you for a season. Um, but it all depends on your experience. If you're coming from, you know, an A-star company doing mound work, you know, wherever it is, mm-hmm. you know, they might throw it, throw it at you. Um, cause they, they, they do, they do pretty extensive training and through that training, they can kind of figure out, yeah, maybe you're not quite ready for this yet. Yeah. We'll try again next year. I'll and if it's snowing, I mean, and honestly, if it's snowing, we're not flying. Yeah. which is another thing because uh, the lights going to be flat. Um, you pretty much go flying on blue, bluebird days. Um, you will get into some flat light, depending on you get some high clouds coming over that kind of block the sun in Alaska. You get the, the sun doesn't necessarily goes overhead. It's always kind of off, off on the horizon. So the light gets flat. It's like, it's real flat. It gets really crazy. Do you um, wear rose tinted glasses to help with the contrast? Uh, uh, I don't, I have, I have a pair of the, the when you get the blue blockers, mm-hmm. um, those will make different kinds, but the blue blockers are, are really good for flat light situations. Um, I typically just wear my yellow lens Got it. on my helmet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For uh, the contrast. But, yeah. Oh, okay. And if it gets, if, if it gets real flat, I mean, the skiers don't want to ski in flat light and you certainly don't want to land in flat light. It, it is absolutely crazy. Disorienting. Try to land in flat light. Yeah, when you've got no visual cues outside your window windscreen. Do you have a rate alt? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have that, but it's still it's just one of these things where you can be flying along, and you think you're looking out at a mountain, you know, mountain peaks way off in the distance, but there's a hill between you and you and that mountain. Mm. You don't know it because the light's so flat. There's no. You just can't. You, you can't have that. Tell contra- the train. You can't have that. Have that yeah. contrast. Um, it's like, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's, to like when you when you were flying in the Gulf. Like when I when I was flying up in like the ice fields, it would go up terrain, and mm-hmm. you get past the mountains where it's just like all flat ice fields, mm-hmm. and like it kind of feels like it kind of feels like you're in IMC, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would imagine, like, oh, absolutely. Where like it. it you have no sense of horizon, you know, and it, it yeah. feels, it's weird. It's, yeah. When, it's it, when the light gets flat, um, 
so there's little little stuff that the, the guides will do. They 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 they'll paint they'll paint the landing, right? They use like uh, chalk, and they'll they'll strip out. They'll they'll throw this chalk out to give the give some detail, some some terrain that you can actually sort of yeah. tell. But when it gets real flat, then you just call it. You're just yeah. like if it gets too bad. Typically, the guides are calling it before you do. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, and by the time you're like, dude, this is. I'm, I can't, I, this is driving me nuts. I can't, I can't land in this stuff. This is, it's getting too, uh, too it, weird. it's unsafe. Mm-hmm. We got it. We got it. We got to, we got to pull out and go back to the lodge. Yeah. I remember the dog camps always had orange cones. as like markers to kind of give you some depth perception. Right. Yeah. They're like the, the cone highway. It was like, what do you guys call it? Yeah. The, the, the cone highway. Yeah. If you had cone to highway. take off and mm-hmm. yeah. And it, that helps. It, it's amazing what that little bit of like contrast, uh, it, it helps you but flat light is no joke. Yeah. It sucks. So wearing the right color sunglasses to help with contrast, the chalk, just having some sort of a visual aid to help you get that depth of perception. Right. If you start feeling uh, yourself yeah. getting in that flat, like flat light condition. Basically what you can do is you just pull power and get that pull power and go away. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You Fair just, enough. You abort the landing, abort the landing and, and, and get out of there because it's not, it, you're just going to set yourself up for failure if you, if you try to continue, mm-hmm. um, in that flat light, there's like, I carry, um, we'll carry like these washers and we'll, we'll attach uh, flagging to it probably about six, eight feet of flagging. And it's real bad. If you got to land in a situation where you just have to land, you can toss that out into the snow and you know, it might go it in the snow, maybe a foot, but then you've got this six foot ribbon that really adds contrast to your landing zone. Um, that can help. You can cool. drop a couple of those, but that's, that's really in the extremes. Like, man, I got to I got to set this thing down for whatever reason. Um, but typically if it's flat, you just, you just support and you're like, Hey, we're done for the day. Yeah. That's cool. It's cool that you have that tool. It's cool. that you Yeah. Have that and, tool. And, and, and the guides, the guides typically aren't going to fight you on it because okay. they don't want to ski in any of that. when people get hurt. The yeah. flat light, they can't see the terrain. They're going to get hurt. That's nice. I always think like a guide, like in platoon where the guy's like popping smoke. You know, and he's like on his <laughs> on his knees. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy. Like the way the, the operation is for heli skiing. That they, you know, the guide the guide will just sit there and he kind of hands his hand out. He may be on his knees or whatever, but you come and land and you put the the chin like I'm on the right side. He'll be on the right side. So I land in his hand. Basically, I put my hand. I put the helicopter right at his hand. And I stop and you've got the basket on the left side and all the, all the clientele lined up like right next to the skis on the left side. So when you land, you just hope that the guide gave you, gave you enough space between the skis and the, and, and everybody with the basket. So when you land and, and touch basically noses, nose to nose with the guide that the clients are far enough away yeah. and they're, they're all pretty good about that, but it's, it's kind of crazy how they just sit there and you just go right up to them. Hmm. That's cool. Skills, yeah. man. You got skills. Uh, so far, right, so far it's done me well. <laughs> Not right for sure, but that's crazy. That's pretty cool. So recently, you've been flying mostly the A Star, but when we tried to schedule it the other week, you were in training for the two twelve. Um, is that correct? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So we've got yeah yeah we've got a bunch of two twelves and some uh, Eagle singles. Uh, basically, that two twelve converted to a single engine. Pretty badass. The, 12, the 212? The 212 the, the, the Eagle, the single engine? Because I heard the 205 is more power than a 212, but is that true? 
Uh, well, the A, I think it's the A plus plus is yeah. It, it's um, I think it has more power. Obviously, it's it's, mm-hmm. it's one less engine, it's less weight, right? So yeah, single yeah, engine yeah. versus a twin engine. I mean, every twin engine that's out there, it's kind of like oh, cool. There's two engines, but there's a lot of weight associated with that. So there's a lot of performance that gets taken away and and yeah. capability. But I haven't I I haven't flown the the Eagle single. They just they just uh, you know, check ride me in the in the two twelve. Uh, the Eagle oh, single is cool, coming up. So, yeah, and and on paper, the the Eagle single is pretty well. If you get below five thousand feet, basically, the Eagle single compares pretty well with the two hundred five. Mm-hmm. But once you get up in a you know and above altitude, you know five thousand feet and above, the 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 two hundred five starts to get a little better. Mm-hmm. But and and really, the only difference is I think it's seven hundred pounds between oh, really? the the two hundred five and the and the Eagle single, as far as the payload that you can carry, yeah. it's an extra 700 pounds, which equates to a lot of fuel, which in Alaska, yeah, yeah. that's, that's nice. You can throw more fuel on, but if you've ever flown like the, the 206, mm-hmm. um, it's just a giant 206. Nice. It's just this big lumber, you know, it just, uh, it's not an A-star. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going, you're going from a Ferrari to a, to a dump truck, basically. Got you know, it. It's like the, in, in the Hawaii handling. body Cadillac. Right. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it is pretty impressive though. You can be 10 miles away and people know you're coming. True, it's kind of cool when you land. Like, wow. Ooh. <laughs> I've never been in one. Oh, yeah. yeah and it's you know it's all 1960s 50s technology so you get in and it's like okay all right old school there's no there's no, <laughs> there's no i want to say when i was in iraq no glass the panel were still rocking those i want to say they had 212s like uh the marines still had like their vietnam era helicopters that they still yeah. like were rocking in iraq you know yeah i always thought they were pretty cool uh made me feel yeah. like i was you know Made me think I was yeah. in like a uh, full metal jacket. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a it's a cool aircraft. It's it's uh it's it's you know all aircraft are fun to fly, right? They all have their little unique new uniqueness to them. Yeah. But I definitely, I definitely am spoiled with the A star. I mean, I just feel the A star is that's my baby. Yeah, same. Right? Yeah, it's just so much fun to fly that thing, especially like heli skiing. Do you do B two B twos or do they give you some B threes or B threes? We have we have B3s. Uh, we have a couple B2s. Um, we have one B3E, which is really fun to fly. I wish nice. I wish when I was at Papillon flying that the B3Es that I actually knew what I was flying. Right. Like what thing? That thing is just a just an awesome machine to fly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we so Alaska is basically at sea level up to about you know six seven thousand feet because the mountains just start at sea level. It's not like in the Rockies where you're starting off at 8,000 feet, going up to 13,000 feet. Mm-hmm. So the B3 does Fine. a phenomenal job. Yep. You don't really need the B3E. Sure. But it'd be nice. It'd be a lot cooler yeah, if I, you did. <laughs> right? So, I, I, yeah, so last, last heli ski season, I started off in the B3E for like two or three weeks, and then they put me into a B3, and I was like, Man. Oh. <laughs> is it is a different uh, <laughs> it's a single got, channel FADEC, right? The B three. It's a single channel yeah. FADEC. Yeah, single channel, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and, yeah, and, and single hydraulics too, typically. Yeah, yeah, and the dual hydraulic. I mean, a hydraulic failure. Not you start. I'm not too worried about it. True. I feel like it's 
like out in the Gulf of Mexico, we, they did give us hydraulic fares and they make you land on the platform. Ooh. So, I mean, that's rough. Hydraulic, hydraulic failures are, yeah, they're, they're an issue, but I don't, it's not the end of the world. You can still fly the aircraft, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got to use your strong arm. <laughs> i don't know some of these i mean some of these like you know, i'm i'm a bigger guy six two like and i'm muscling that i'm muscling that, that collective around with the with the hydraulics off i don't know just like they gotta be like sitting on it like oh. i know man. man good thing i always had my shake on me I was like this. Right. <laughs> Shake weight. When I was taking the more, I do it like this. Yeah, that's much. <laughs> it's more effective that way. So I think we've pretty much covered everything that I really wanted to hit on today. How do I get into utility if I don't have any long line time? Is it worth it no. to pay for a long line course? Is it hard to, you know, find a company that will pay for my training? What's it like to fly in backcountry Alaska doing utility? I mean, I think we covered all of that pretty yeah. thoroughly. And what are the challenges? What are your favorite parts? So, I, I think if a company values you, they're going to train you up. Yep. And what what they what they need you for? Sure. And that's a, that's a big thing, right? If they like you, you got. <laughs> yeah, I think the hardest. I think the hardest thing is getting hired on, right? Yeah. Like, I think that's you get hired on, and and we talked about yeah, you know, dead horse is that that's that networking like most of the jobs that i've gotten that i've gotten because i've known people that have worked there mm-hmm. um it's like our papillon days when you know simon's like i get like 500 resumes a month what makes you so special like well i know these two people here that work here and they can vouch for me how's that sound yep so they get your foot in the door and then once you get your foot in the door then then it's up to you right mm-hmm. so to prove yourself I, and i told them i would be a great tax write-off <laughs> My best times were in Vegas. It's just, I think it's because once you leave, you know, once you leave the that tour pilot thing, you know, there's 70 pilots, and then you go, and now you're all by yourself. So it's very rare that you get to fly with other pilots. That's why heli skiing is pretty fun because there's usually two. Like this year, we're gonna have seven helicopters, and so there's seven pilots that get to chill and hang out at night. And it's, it's actually makes it, it, it quite a great experience. So right now, you're obviously on your off season. So what do you do when you're not flying? Just hang out with the fam up there in Oregon? I do whatever I want. That's the cool thing <laughs> nice. about it. That's really I put cool my time in in the, in the spring and summer, and then I get, you know, five, maybe six months off. That's so nice. We do whatever. You know, I, buy, I get a season pass for the local mountain open. I get my, I get my time in. Cool. On the slopes before I got to go take people on the slopes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for sharing your your experience. And hopefully someone out there who's wanting to fly utility and heli ski can hear your story and feel inspired that they can go after their same, that same dream. And that's a, it's a feasible, you know, attainable yeah, thing, just, especially now with the pilot shortage and, you know, people yeah, wanting to. Going after it. I, I never thought I'd fly in the Gulf of Mexico, but I found myself flying in the Gulf of Mexico. And I mean, Everybody says it, never say never, because you might be doing it someday. Yeah, and you, yeah, you did it because it was a part of your goal, right? Like you needed bell time, right. so you sacrificed yeah. eight months of your life to go fly a platform of a job that you didn't necessarily want, but <laughs> right. you got and the experience. I would say, you know, if you're, if you're going to get in the utility world, you know, you, the goal is to get, you know, 50 hour, at least 50 hours in, in as many airframes as you can, because that's like the, the government you know, hour mark is 50 hours before you can get carded. So if you're going to fly utility, it's best to have 50 hours and as much air, aircraft you can. Cause then when you go, 
try to get another job somewhere or whatever. Mm-hmm. Employers are like, oh, you got that 50 hours already. Cool. You're hireable. You're cartable. Nice. We can, we can bring you on. No oh, problem. That's good to know. I didn't know what the card requirements are. Are there more than that? Is it just 50, 50 hours in the yeah, type? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So OES carding, you're looking at uh, 1,500 hours total. Uh, I think it's 200 hours across country, um, 50 hours in, in type in your aircraft, uh, 10 hours of long line. Um, but you don't have to, I mean, you, you don't you have to be carded long certain, line. Uh, you got to drop it right in a certain like area. Like you got a certain parameters on the long line. Yeah. You'll put it, you, you'll put a 150 foot line on. They'll have you typically, I think it's, I, I forget the requirements. What's that? It's like a certain, it's certain like a, how wide it is, right? The circle or where the parameters. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be some circle or yeah. like in my case, I mean, I'm doing it up in Alaska. There's, they just, we just went out into the tundra and he's like, you see that tree over there? Put it within 10 feet of that tree, you know? And so you just want to control it, control the hook all the way down to the ground, set it down and then, and then pick it back up. And when you pick it back up, you don't want it swinging all over the place. You want to pick it up nice and controlled, nice and slow. And then, they'll find like a, a confined spot in like with me, they, they just found this little spot with a tree or in, in the trees, like a big hole in the, in the, in the trees. And he said, uh, put it, put it in this, put it in there. And I was like, cool, that's a big ass hole. <laughs> I can, I can, I can, I can put that hook in there nice and easy. And then he's like, Oh, you see that little bit patch of snow, put it on that little patch of snow. And I was like, Oh, it was one of those like, Oh, okay. Well, it needs to get more difficult. Then I, was, I got, a, I got about, you know, I got about like 18 inches or so, maybe a couple of feet up from, from above that snow. And I'm like, okay, I'm over and I'm over it. And I sort of rushed it and everybody knows that when you rush it, it doesn't work out. So I, I like, I quickly kind of lowered the clock a little bit, try to get it on that snow and it like moved and just, I missed the snow by like, like six inches. He's like, well, I guess we got to find a tighter hole now. I'm like, oh. uh, <laughs> but, but it was kind of funny. Crazy man. Well, congrats. Well, yeah, dude. Congrats on, on fulfilling your dreams. And um, again, thank you for sharing your story. And it was great to catch up, man. Let's not let there be so much time in between. I need to get better yeah. at like keeping track of people. Worst. I'm the worst. I mean, I'll call, I think I call Jose up every year or so. And like, what's up? We we, we sit there and we sit there and and me and Jose will laugh for 20 minutes and we say goodbye. Yeah. (laughs) But you know what? You can pick it right back up where you left off. And that's what makes a good friendship. I think. Yeah. Cause everyone's going to get into their groove and their lives and doing their thing. But even just once a year, if you can just pick up the phone and be like, what's up, you know, and, have fun right. for a little bit yeah. and be like, all right, talk to you in a year. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Pretty yeah, I'll, okay. go, I'll go through my contacts. I'm like, oh, I haven't talked back in a while. But Yeah, man. Hope you fly bye. safe up there and we'll, <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Oh, bye. <laughs> it was so nice to catch up with Grover. Yeah. Yeah. It was super cool catching up and actually talking to him. It's been a while. It's been a long time. Did you ever see how he would carry around or take pictures of that little toy moose? Knuckles is what he named it. No, I don't remember that. You don't know Knuckles? Yeah, he used to, every time he would uh, be out there in the wilderness, he would take a photo with like a nice Alaskan background and he had this little toy moose that he named Knuckles and he would take pictures of it. 
in all these beautiful wow. locations. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to show you some pictures. They're pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. I, I didn't know you did that. I didn't know what happened to Knuckles. I haven't seen him in then a while. Again, then again, I haven't been on social media for a long time. That's so. true. I kind of forced you to get an Instagram, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. guys, it is time for a short ground lesson. Okay, so if any of you out there are planning on flying for the Forest Service at some point in your career, we figured we would give you guys the uh, information of the minimum Forest Service hour requirements if this was something you were thinking about doing in your careers, whether it be forest, uh, firefighting, or, you know, things of that nature, flying utility for the Forest Service, etc. To get carded. You need to have PIC in a helicopter 1,500 hours, 100 hours in a helicopter in the preceding 12 months, 100 hours in the FAA weight class, 50 hours in make and model. And then make and model series for the last 12 months, you need 10 hours, mountain flying, 200 hours, and turbine helicopter operations, 100 hours. So with all of that being said, when can you actually log mountain flying time? So what, what constitutes mountain time? And that's a question that's been brought up a lot over the years. And if you look at the far aim and you see where, where in the U.S. is considered mountainous terrain, it's basically everything west of the Mississippi. But if you're flying not in the mountains at a pretty low DA and just because you're in a region that's considered mountainous, does that really mean that you can log that as mountain time? Well, technically, yes, but a lot of operators don't see it that way. And they, um, according to Cal Fire, Jose, you said you went to um, a Cal Fire talk at Heli Expo one year. What did they say about logging mountain time? They said that 5,000 DA is what they look for and above. Yeah, 5,000 DA. Yep. Unless it's Alaska. Yeah, unless uh, you were flying in Alaska, they consider that mountain time as well. Got it. So I would say it's safe to say anything above 5,000 feet DA and any flying in Alaska is considered mountain time. Or what if it's like a small mountain though? Like what if it's like a 2,000 foot mountain and you're still flying around there? Is that considered mountain time? Well, those mountains are pretty vertical, and they're from sea level. Well, I'm not saying in Alaska, but, like, in anywhere else. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, I think they're... I, I Honestly, I think they're looking at into the performance and how you handle the performance at higher altitudes. Right. Because you're going to be, most likely, if you're doing, like, some type of fire contract, I would imagine you're going to be loaded down. You're going to be at almost at max gross weight. Uh, how you're going to handle, like... Your energy you know, management. Yes. Power, power you know, management. Exactly. Compared to if you're flying at, yeah, don't get me wrong, still flying at a 2,000 foot mountain is difficult, but you're still going to have a lot more power compared to, you know, if you're higher, like at 8,000 DA, 9,000 DA. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's not necessarily the skill of flying around the mountains. It's more so... And energy management and high DA operations. Yeah. I, I, More of a check. I wouldn't just say like just high DA, but like it, it's still important to fly in a mountainous environment because you still got to look at, you know, uh, the demarcation lines, 
understanding local wind patterns, understanding where the downdrafts, updrafts are going to be, uh, knowing when, when, knowing when, and how you're going to do a tow-in landing, uh, how far your rotor discs are going to be from the certain edge. Sure. You know, like a lot of things kind of go into mountain flying. It's not just the energy management, but I will say energy management is a big part of it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Forever on the Fly podcast. We love you guys and we love to hear your feedback. If you want to leave a review, go to Apple Podcasts or just hit us up on Instagram. We love to get direct messages from you guys uh, to see what you think about the show, what you think we could be doing better. Yeah, we'll catch you next time on the Forever on the Fly podcast. Bye. Adios. Adios.